Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society can still be dismissive of. My name is Caroline O'Donoghue and I'd like to do more than survive, I'd like to rub it in your face. Joining me is returning guest, coin-operated boy, Tom McInnes. Hello. Hi. Today we're talking about our favourite subject, Amanda Palmer. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm very excited. As, uh, I've got a certain trepidation. I think it's, she's a complex and naughty character, but hopefully, yeah. yeah, I'm excited to get into that. Totally. And I, um, this is, I have to say, the episode I've been most looking forward to recording, partially because it means we get to hang out and that's my favourite. Uh, and partially because, like, I just think that she, her music, Amanda Palmer and the music she made, both under her own name and as the Dresden Dolls, is so something that gets to the heart of what I want to do with this podcast, which is this art that's extremely feminine, extremely outsized, and it's kind of all the things that female art is so often criticised and dismissed for being. Uh, and she's a character who in her personal life and how she conducts herself online and stuff, the things that she does and the, the gaffes she might make or is perceived to make are so outsized and she is routinely sort of cancelled and then re- resurrected and cancelled again that she has become the sort of pinnacle of what it is to be a female creator in the 21st century for me. At the same time, I think a lot of people won't know who she is. <laughs> so, like, how do you know who she is? Um, well... Let me let me take you take you back. Okay. Okay. The year is two thousand and four. George Bush has just been elected for a second term at the White House. Um, the movies that everyone's talking about are Brad Pitt's Troy and Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Did you just put two thousand and four into Wikipedia? I did. Just specific, <laughs> specifically, the movies that came out in two thousand and four. It's important. It's important to get a cultural flavour of the day. Yeah. Okay. I am a 14-year-old boy. As uh, am I, but a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, looking for my place in the world, and more specifically, my microcosm of the world, which is uh, a kind of below-average middle school in Bedford. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and it's, so, so I think that's sort of the time uh, when you're like 14 that the cliques and the sort of, uh, like, sort of subcultures and things like that really start to take hold and you really get separated into... At least for me in my school, it was uh, sort of, oh, you're over here, you listen to this, you like this, you dress mm-hmm. like that, you're over here. And we can never, ever talk, mm-hmm. but we might fight like on the on the green outside of school. Like, and someday kiss. Potentially, hopefully. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and and so Amanda Palmer, well, the Dresden Dolls really for me sort of. They are they're, they're kind of the prototypical uh, like mall emo 
uh, like sort of the mainstream. Uh, the, the, they sort of uh, are the first of a, of a bunch, like My Chemical Romance and Panic at the Disco, that very much were um, the sort of accessible, acceptable face of uh, rock music. Yes. Yes. And I think, I think that might be part of the reason they had this reception early on that was it was like almost like when you read reviews from that time and we'll get into them later it's like people liked it in spite of itself kind of thing in Mm -hmm. spite of themselves really because it was so something that was so clearly made for sort of 14 year old mall goths and the people who would later become emos and Mm -hmm. sort of people who like I I remember because we had very similar upbringings even though we grew up in different countries in that like yeah I, I grew up in a sort of a cathedral city that like most people don't think of when they think of Ireland but <laughs> nevertheless we were there and there was this kind of um like masher culture was very big in Cork we called them gribos mm-hmm. um we had mashers anyway and and Cork has a has a very big metal scene it has like a metal club and uh, and that sort of culture is very big there but there the, there was this kind of this slice you know, below Mosher that was opening up around then that we used to call minis. I would call them mini. Oh, wow. Did you have this term at all? Fuck no. So a mini Mosher is somebody who doesn't listen to metal and isn't hard enough to listen to metal. I see. But does sort of like this kind of gothy art school sort of aesthetic, like Emily the Strange t-shirts, like, you Mm -hmm. know, um, sort of Barbie dolls that have been sort of gothified and then stuck onto a tote bag. Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas culture. Yes. Yes, There it is. Um, Buying the melancholy death of Oyster Boy by Tim Burton in HMV for two quid by the till. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a whole energy by itself. (laughs) Stripe be tights the thing that would later become emo but didn't have a word for it back then mm-hmm. and she sort of I saw the the uh, video for coin operated boy at MT, on MTV2 very late at night and it felt like all these kind of this, this aesthetic at its most purest form right mm-hmm. you'd seen the sort of mall versions of it the shopping centre versions of what that could be and then this was the this was the like the thing that we were all distilling from you know before yeah. we even knew it yeah, yeah. So for me, I think it was there was a girl in my drama class. It had to be drama, of course. Of course. That I uh, that I fancied, and she had, she had. I think it was Coin Operated Boy on her iPod. Right. And um, so I listened to that, and I kind of. I think I, I I think I liked it at the time because I liked her. Yeah. Um, but then I went home and obviously typed the Dresden Dolls into LimeWire. Remember mm-hmm. LimeWire? Mm-hmm. And. The song that I got was a, it's a live recording of a song called Christopher Lydon. Right. Which is off a, a, like, yeah, like a live EP called A is for Accident, which came out before the debut album. And it's kind of like a slow piano ballad. I think it's like a kind of ode. It's it's like she plays the role of basically like an obsessed fan of a radio DJ. I could kind of play Misty for me. Is that what the song is about? I I think so. I think so. Um, But there's just this moment where she wails and it's this like, just like all on the floor, ugly, beautiful kind of like cry. And I hadn't ever heard anything quite like that. And I immediately was like, that's, that's my thing. That's what I like. And then, and then obviously, and so a little, no, it's sort of around the same time Then I got into like, Bright Eyes and all the yeah. other basically I think I think I probably ended up typing into uh, typing into the internet like you know bands where they yell bands where, <laughs> bands where they cry uh, it's like that and that that became my thing but still it's like nothing is more powerful to me in all of music than hearing Amanda Palmer wail yes yes 
oh, I could not, I just could not agree more. And like, I think, you know, we, you know, I've been friends for a long time, but not so long that we could have known each other as teenagers. But there's definitely a space that you and I get to and we hang out and when we've been drinking a lot where we sort of create a fictional teenage dumb for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's all us just primal yelling mm-hmm. along to Amanda or the mountain goats or bright eyes. Like clutching each other and melting to the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's very beautiful. I love it. It's so, I treasure it so deeply. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, and, and similarly, that sort of people screaming in songs, but not quite punk and mm-hmm. sort of awkward phrasing and stuffing sort of 15 words into four syllables mm-hmm. and, and carrying on the ne- the half of a word onto the next line and that kind of thing. It's, that excites me so much. It's like music where you get the sense that this, you know, like this isn't even about music anymore. Yeah. It's like, this is not about sounding, you know, good in any kind of uh, tradition traditional sense or being pretty or being cool this is like you know i mean even and you even though you you know sort of logically they've written the song they've recorded it uh, sorry they've written the song they've practiced it they've played it to their friends they've done it a million times before they go into the studio to lay it down and there is a certain level of performance even in that people like amanda um yeah first name basis first name basis uh it, she never it, I don't think she's ever rung a false note and I don't think she's ever written like a clumsy or lazy line and there's no one else I can I, I can say that about like not even like a Dylan especially Dylan um, um, <laughs> everyone wants to listen to our last episode on, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six which just became a Dylan podcast <laughs> <laughs> as, as hopefully this one will by the end as well I'm working my way there I started early as you can yeah, see. just laying the seeds yeah <laughs> Um, so I'm going to do a brief sum. We've talked a lot about her um, and the context, but I'm going to do a brief summary of who Amanda Palmer is for people who don't know. And I'm going to maybe do a uh, sort of a playlist, a Spotify playlist of the songs that we talk about today, um, just to get everyone up to speed. Amanda Palmer is a singer, songwriter and performance artist who first rose to fame in the early 2000s with the band The Dresden Dolls. After singles like Coin Operated Boy, which we talked about, and Girl Anachronism, the Dresden Dolls became a staple of indie music and were known for their cabaret-inspired aesthetic and wild live shows. Amanda has since become a solo artist, releasing several albums under her own name and becoming one of the first major artists to use a crowdfunding model to fund her work. She's attracted many critiques over the years, both for the lyrical content of her music as well for her behaviour on social media and she's currently married to the author Neil Gaiman I don't know why I chose to write a Wikipedia <laughs> entry I think it's pretty good though I think I, maybe yeah, should, it covers yeah. a lot yeah we've talked about 2004 in that context but like I think we need to talk about the reviews a little bit more mm-hmm. because we were whatsapping yesterday and we both found the same Pitchfork Media review for that first proper album and we're going to be referring to Pitchfork a lot in this I think because first of all they have the best online archive of all these indie music blogs that have disappeared over the years and second of all I think they're really good at like summarizing what the mood was at the time in terms of like music boy circles right and like Mm -hmm. proper you know critique and and how it sort of succeeded and failed but so much of like even the immediately when she comes on the scene she gets this great review from Pitchfork Media or technically a great review because it's like an 8.2 but it it refers to immediately as hideously guiltily entertaining theatrical affected profoundly self-aware and basically it's this guy saying you know 
These are obviously good songs, but let me couch my praise so nobody will think that I actually like this shit. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and I think that a lot of the criticism, uh, well, just a lot of the writing around Amanda Palmer, it tends to be kind of, if they even mention the music at all, it's begrudgingly and always in scare quotes. And because there's there's this sense that she's... Yeah, that that she's uncool or sort of, uh, you know, as if that was the most important thing in in, in making art. But yeah, yeah it's. Um, I think that pitchfork article is really, really typical of everything that, um, or, or or kind of, or is 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 kind of a the first sort of hint at everything that's to come in terms of the writing around Amanda Palmer. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and it's so interesting that I've been thinking so much about this that like. People say that her music is too theatrical, and it is theatrical. Like it sounds like musical theater all the time. And if you're not into musical theater, I can, I can get that. But so does Rufus Wainwright's music, mm-hmm. you know. And people call him the greatest songwriter of his generation. They say it's like too goth, but so is The Cure. They say, and like so is Nick Cave. And I don't know. I don't want to get back to this too much because I don't want to be wow 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 poor women. But it does just seem like this stuff can just about be cool when men do it, but when women do it, it's embarrassing. Um, but what's the? You mentioned Christopher Lydon. What's up? But what's another song that you think of like when the lyrics just evidence her talent to you? Um. Okay. I mean, there are. I think I could basically point to any song in her catalogue and, you know, and and, make, and not even have to make an argument for why she's one of the greatest lyricists working today. And I mean, I would argue one of the greatest of all time. Um, so, for instance, uh, the first song I think I that it ever dawned on me that songs could be not just about something, but about multiple things and that you could unpack them is mm. um, Sex Changes, <gasps> which I think we discussed via text uh yesterday um yeah so so you told me uh, a similar thing what was your experience of that yeah so i think it was again same as you just downloading a batch of shit from limewire and seeing kind of like a real lucky bag of like what you're gonna get of that artist and getting sex changes and i think possibly a live version as well and um sort of this this song it sort of stacks images on top of each other so it kind of begins and it ta- it's sort of, it's talking about the decision to have sex for the first time, which as a 14-year-old girl, a big concern. <laughs> and there's, there's this very clever wordplay that's like, they didn't say that sex would change you, would change you, would change you. And this whole thing about how, you know, to have sex for the first time as a, as a young person sort of does change the texture of a relationship. And if the song were just about that... That would be good enough. Like, that would be clever. But then it's also couched in it the idea of getting a sex change generally, right? And the sort of, like, the surgical and and sort of drug assistance that would require and, and what you have to give up and what you have to do. And then there's this also kind of sub-narrative about getting pregnant and what set, like, what the decision, basically, to join the sexual world means. And they don't, all of these meanings, they don't so much as interlink as they do stack. And the overwhelming feeling when you're listening to it, it just feels like the responsibility of like being a sexual creature just and mm-hmm. how overwhelming it is, particularly when you're young. And it just, yeah, it, it completely startled me. Absolutely. And there's, uh, 
Another song that immediately springs to mind is uh, the song Good Day, which is the first track of the first album proper. Yeah. Which is, um, it's, it's, it's a simple song. It's well-trod ground. In fact, I think it's, pr- it's probably the most well-trod ground of, within popular music. It's, you know, it's, it's actually, it's basically the archetype for your Katy Perry raw type songs. It's just, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's literally just like, it's a breakup song. And um, she's basically, uh, she, she, she's basically had a good day. Yeah, and she's real. Uh, you know, she's in the depths of despair about this uh, this breakup. But all you need is one good day to show you that there is there are better times ahead. Yeah, and once you have that good day, it's not enough to just you said it up front. You know, it's not enough to just have it. Now you have something to rub in the face <laughs> yes! of the person who's made you miserable. Yes. Now that to anyone, I think is more resonant and and to put it in that way to talk about the good the one good day that makes you realize that life goes on is more powerful than any number no matter how many how many clichés and platitudes you can stack up about eye of the tiger how's that song go eye of the tiger walking through the fire i'm a champion and you're going to hear me roar is the yeah, katy perry yeah. song which is the same as like uh I'd love to have you up to see the place. I'd like to do more than survive. I'd like to rub it in your oh, face. Oh, it's so good. Because the way it begins as well, it sounds like this cretin crab who is like crawled out from the shells of misery mm-hmm. and is just like, you don't want to hear about my good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she sounds like a fucking psychopath. She sounds like that fucking ex-girlfriend who shows up at the party and cre- threatens to kill herself. And everyone's like, oh my God, she's here, she's here. And she's like, I took out the trash today and I'm on fire. <laughs> and it's like, you're like, whoa, this lady. And then this thing of... of and you kind of you're almost not with her but then when she says that line I'd like to do more than su- survive I'd like to rub it in your face you're yeah. just with her and you're the crazy girl yes, at the party exactly <laughs> exactly and uh, that is the I think the incredible the real skill that she has uh, at least and I'm um, from my perspective as a um well as a as a guy yeah um so like at least I'd say a good third of her songs are about abortion or <laughs> Sexual abuse or vibrators, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which you know, I mean, I'm, I'm here to listen, <laughs> not, 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 not comment on that. <laughs> we were discussing this on the WhatsApp. Tom was like, "How am I? Uh, how am I going to talk about all these like very female themes?" I was like, "Just say you're here to listen, and everyone will love you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote down uh, what you said verbatim, just in case. Like, and I've just and I've got a note disclaimer. <laughs> Disclaimer, I'm here to listen. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. I, 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 I got it in. And yet, anyway, so those are the themes. And yet the characters, the emotions, the f- and, and yet even though I can't necessarily connect directly with what she's talking about, I, her, uh, she resonates with me more than I think any other artist. And she can, I mean, she had me in tears this morning on, uh, on, on, the, on the train over. Uh, with her song uh, "Voicemail to Jill," which is a, yeah. which is a, uh, uh, yeah, like her leaving a voicemail to a friend who's getting an abortion, and she's, uh, and Amanda's in another country, and so can't be with her. And it's just, I mean, you know, you can read 
and get really angry about all of the, I mean, the stuff in Texas mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But the but but art that I think is is the is the is maybe the only way, at least for me, to really understand it. It, or at least try and uh, try and try and understand it uh, in a way, and um, and and truly and truly try and uh, start to empathise with with exactly what's at stake and what it and, and what the stuff that you're reading all means. And I think that one, but but so many of her songs, all of her, I I think any issue song that she writes, yeah, she. She really forces you into the position of the person of the person who this shit is happening to, and it's very confronting. And I think maybe in in one sense I understand why she catches flack for that, but in the other sense, I, I'm kind of confused about why people take such umbrage with her approach to these themes because I'm like, who else in popular music is writing about this this directly and this effectively? Um, and yeah, I, I I don't know. I and not just directively and effectively, but constantly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she, I don't think she's ever had an album that wasn't about didn't have an either a rape song or an abortion song. Mm -hmm. These are like t topics she's been engaging with her entire and by this point very lengthy career with many many albums and many side projects to the point where like we're both huge fans. There's songs that you haven't heard. There's songs I haven't heard. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And like, so she has that voicemail for Jill and it's this m unbelievably empathetic thing of, yeah, just leaving a voice note for your friend and this thing of, you know, you know, no one's going to throw you a party and no one's going to, yeah, it's, no one's going to celebrate you. No one's going to bring you cake and yeah. none of those people screaming outside the clinic are going to say that your heart also matters. And it's so, oh God. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's a strange grief, but it's grief. Oh, Caroline, don't. <laughs> Not this early on. I know, I know, but like, and then, but there's that song, but then in her one of her other songs, which is just called Oasis, mm -hmm. it's the same topic, but utterly flipped. It's about a young woman who goes to a party, gets raped, becomes pregnant, uh, and it, but it's okay because Oasis got her letter in the mail. Yeah, and they're seeing Blur in October. <laughs> Oh, and like her friend shops her out and like tells yeah. everyone that she's like a crack whore. Yeah. But they're still going to go to see Blur together. <laughs> it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Well, it's that's what it is to be a teenager, right? right? It's like everything has the same weight. Everything when you're when you're a teenager, all things are like the top priority, like earth-shattering importance, and there's kind of no, and everything kind of just swirls around itself. And again, it's another song where it's like I don't have any I don't have personal uh, personal yeah. experience in that but I I believe it and I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and like I I think that that song in particular got a lot of pushback for because it is and Amanda does this a lot in her music where she adopts a kind of little girl sort of character mm -hmm. um and she sort of has this kind of naive sort of childlike um tone that she adopts and it's you know when I got to the party, they gave me a 40 and then and the barbarian raped me. And then people are like, this is awful. Yeah, people, people were furious, horrified. And I can get how people could listen to that song out of context mm -hmm. and not trust, if they're idiots, I guess, that, yeah. that this is a feminist artist mm -hmm. who is writing about the reality of, you know, 
being a teenager, sexual abuse, all these things, which is that these horrible things can happen to you and you can still go see Blur in October. And, <laughs> and that is it. <laughs> it's yeah. just it, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that has been so consistently compelling about her over, what is it, like 20... Well, yeah, like o- almost 20 years now, is that she's constantly taking risks and risks you didn't even know, like... you. You didn't even know there was an option to take that path yeah. within uh, w- within music. I mean, at the end of her seminal album "Theatre Is Evil," she raps, <laughs> and yeah. I mean, at for first... all for all of the uh, uh, for all of the sort of thematic risks she takes, I think there is um, perhaps no risk greater to a to a professional musician than uh, the idea of a, a white woman rapping. <laughs> yeah, a white mother rapping. <laughs> <laughs> you love that song though, Ali Ali Oxenfree. Yeah, I really do. I get like a text from you about it like every 8 months. <laughs> yeah, it, usually when I'm drunk and it's usually like just all caps misspelled. <laughs> Ali Ali Oxenfree. <laughs> <laughs> like is it just like is the reason you love that song just that she raps or is there like a lyrical content to it that you're just jams with you? She says, um you wonder if you should have surrendered before you learnt that nobody actually wants a fucking martyr. Wow. And I just... It, to me, it, the, the, the whole song, the, the, that, that song really is just about sort of growing up a little too late. Like, like, like it's, the, it's the kind of turning 30 and starting to realise actually what people want from you and what you want to give them and what... <laughs> Yeah, and well, she raps. She raps. <laughs> she does a rap. She does a little bit of rap, rap singing. She does like I mean, girl anachronism. You could argue is a rap. Yeah, um, like subterranean homesick blues. What is the original rap? It's, a, it's the Bob Dylan song. No, never mind. I was, I was... Stop trying to make me listen to Bob Dylan. <laughs> I won't do it. Um, uh, but I, I funny with that girl anachronism thing. I hadn't listened to that song in years until yesterday. And I remember when it came out because it had this, you know, I think I initially got into the sort of the the aesthetic of the band and it was the first song I ever listened to that I didn't understand and tried to understand. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because like, I think, you know, that my listening habits at that point was very much, you know, Maroon 5, Alanis Morissette, Avril Lavigne. And I still think those artists are great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I still think songs about Jane is a great album. Um, but those things, they're, they're even Alanis, who did some pretty crazy stuff in terms of, you know, stuff she was putting on the radio. It's still instantly likable, right? It's still instantly tuneful. It's not yelling at you. It's not shoving all these words you've never heard in your face. But Girl Anachronism was the first. I was like, I hate this because I don't understand it. It's loud. Yeah. You know, I am the Girl Anachronism. It's like this crazy piano. I'd never heard anything like it. But like, I just kept looking at the video over and over again until I liked it. <laughs> Which is what liking music as an adult is. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. <laughs> Having said that, though, though I think her, her songs really do invite close analysis, um, you don't necessarily have to understand what they're about. Like, the song Tri- Trout Heart Replica, I have no idea what that song is about, and it might be my favourite song of all time. I have no idea what that song is about. Right? Why do you love it so much? Um, it's the image. There's certain images. Well, I mean, like the central image of the uh, the fish's heart being cut out and still beating. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, it's not that I don't necessarily know what it means to me. It and it means different things to me at different times while I've been, you know, over over the nearly ten years that I've been listening to it. But I think it's 
mostly it centres around what she says towards the end, which I think also kind of explains how you can, or certainly I can, feel so immensely connected to her without necessarily... Uh, without necessarily having any connection to the situations that she's uh, describing. It's because really what she writes about is, uh, as she says, feeling helpless, acting selfish, being human and all. Yeah. And that's and that's it, really. And it's especially, you know, she's complex. She, her songs are complex and she is complex because she is human and it presents as entirely human and full of contradictions and f- and and full of uh, things that are really great and things that aren't so great and things that are beautiful and things that are ugly and i just don't really see anyone else especially kind of female uh female artists yeah. uh in in pop at least like pop, what what is the, you know the sort of broad category of pop music yeah. it tends to be sort of i'm a champion or mm. I, don't, I don't know um uh, no i agree with you and I, I guess I compare it to someone who's been, you know, working for almost just as long and who hasn't ever received the controversy, which is someone like St. Vincent, right? Mm-hmm. Who, and I think female artists, they have to protect themselves. They have mm-hmm. to, and, and St. Vincent is an example. Like, I think she's a great musician and I've, I've really loved some of her songs, um, but there, she has to, she removes herself sort of physically. She removes herself behind a sort of a, a moniker. She often, you know, is very fucks around with journalists quite a lot. She never really gives anyone a straight answer. She has a very glamorous onstage persona. Like it's, you know, she's absolutely, you know, stunning, mesmerizing when you see her on stage. But there's, you know, ultimately it's a coldness. Do you know what I mean? I don't. Mm-hmm. She's written some, a couple of really beautiful songs that I've like wept to. But then when I try and engage with the whole thing it's it i don't know there's something cold about it and i'm not trying to do that thing of building up one person by tearing down another but it's just a a thing you amanda needs to protect herself and doesn't (laughs) do you Mm -hmm. mean and we've seen the fallout of that and the consequences over and over again yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah but i mean it makes me question though it's like what do people want (laughs) it's like what do you want from your art you know, you know. Do do you want do do you want art to kind of uh, confront you and kind uh, and um, and kind of unpack the complexities of the human experience, or do you want something that just kind of parrots sound bites yeah. back at you? And it's like, and, and maybe you do just want the other thing, and maybe you don't want to, and, and maybe you don't want to have to dig into oh, what's she trying to say here, and do I like this or do yeah. I not like it? And you just want to listen to the top forty and sort of you know. And, and and feel a vibe and that's fine but it's like if if that is you then you are not on my wavelength <laughs> we are not at the same concert no it's just like <laughs> and you know and it's and, and you know you and i do know i know people who are just like oh you know i just I like oh, like oh what are you listening to oh you know just whatever's on I'm like what <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> and and it seems, and it does seem, it seems, and it can seem kind of flippant to be like, oh, you know, I, I, I like you, or you'll like me because of what I like. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, if you're not, if you're not engaging in this, yeah. in this way, then we are, we're on different frequencies. <laughs> and actually, that is really, really sad. <laughs> because, like, separate frequencies, they can't meet. We can be talking, but we're just going to be talking yeah. over each other's. Oh, that's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I want to add to that. It's not, for me, 
it's not what people like. I don't care what people fucking like. It's how people like things that matters to me. Yeah. I cannot take casual enjoyment. No. <laughs> I cannot take it. You have to, like, you have to feel the most. Yeah. You don't have to know the most. You have to feel the most. No, absolutely. And, I mean, that goes beyond, that goes beyond sort of <laughs> art and music and shit like that. It's like, nothing is more offensive to me than a shrug. <laughs> You know, in 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 anything, and it's just like you sound like like an old editor for like Vogue, <laughs> <laughs> like Andre Leon Talley. Nothing's <laughs> so offensive to me this schmuck. <laughs> but yeah, not getting any of that out of Amanda, and I and I think when we talk, I mean, we we sort of mentioned sort of controversies and stuff, and I think, and and the way people do so often get frustrated with her, and I think. You know, there's loads of sort of isolated things that have happened over the years because this is this is a character who has always been online and always like really relished having a direct relationship with her listeners and with her fans. And when you get when you're doing that for a long time, and when your career gets bigger and bigger, when you marry very famous people, like you know, you're you're going to get more and more attention, and so you can no longer trust the fact that you are talking to your beloved fans, but actually 50,000 people who follow you because they fucking hate you and and are sort of willing to take things that you say in bad faith. The first thing I think that came up when I first started really noticing that people really hated her was um, around the Theatre is Evil tour, I think 2012, 2013, she uh, put out on her website... Uh, you know, we're traveling these cities. Uh, and if any musicians, theatrical performers, whoever wants to join us on stage, feel please feel free and uh, we'll pay you in beer and hugs, I think. And first of all, the context of that is 2013. The culture of people doing things for free was very high anyway. I think I did a lot of internships for free around then, which I'm not saying was a good thing, but I'm saying was part of the cultural consensus. Second of all, I think she had grown up in this sort of DIY scene that really welcomed that. And they're like, yeah, my friend Sid's a juggler and he's going to come on and and Mm. juggle shoes, you know, (laughs) and that won't that be fun and we'll all go out afterwards. Uh, But I think once you're, I think basically what happens again and again with Amanda is that she has a sort of a conflict or a failure to recognise her own grassroots self-identity with the fact that a million people are watching Mm -hmm. and she is a millionaire and married to a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And it's like the the conflict of these two things rubbing up against each other infuriates people, I think. Yeah, but it's also kind of... That is that that is this that is central to what she is and what she does is the fact that it I don't care whether there's you know it's a, it's a, it's a room of six people or or six or six thousand is yeah. it, you're going to sometimes quite literally get me naked you know yeah, exactly yeah. as it is uh, I, I, and but also my feeling is just like if you're going to let something that you think seems a little bit shady like asking you know musicians to to play with you for live. Of stop you from getting at the value, getting at yeah. the real value of what I would argue is, you know, the Theatre is Evil album, especially one of the seminal yeah. works of millennial art or pop art, uh, you know, it, you know, uh, next to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and yeah. other stuff. Like, I think it's absolutely in the pantheon. It's canon yeah. in, in my mind. And it has so much value for all the reasons that we've been talking about, how, the, how it attacks these themes and things like that. And But so much, 
you can get as an individual so much out of great art. And if you're going to let the little things that you don't approve of that the artist does yeah. stop you from enjoying that, then you are losing out. I, th- I, yeah. I think at the, yeah, end the day, only person you're robbing is yourself. Yeah, that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, you're withholding your, your you know, whatever, your, your f- 10 bucks for a, yeah. for, for a record or, or, or whatever. But you're robbing yourself of that. And it's just, yeah, I don't want to be, be like the kind of uh, separate art from artist guy because I don't believe that you always can or should. But there is a certain le- level whereby it's it's that it's like who really the people who lose out when yeah. you sh- when you shut some sh- shut someone out because they've done something you don't shut someone great yeah you know out because you've they've done something you don't prove is is you really yeah. yeah 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 oh that's such a good point. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Some of those controversies that I've seen pop up over the Amanda sort of universe, um, some of the times I thought she was acting out of order and some of the times I thought people were uh, overblowing something and generally... the times I've thought they've been overblowing it has brought me back to the same thing, which is that the stage for women creating and men creating is, is, is fucking different. And like, there's a kind of an ire here that men do not get unless they are systematically hurting people. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like physically hurting people. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's this article that you and I read this morning. I think it was by Sadie Doyle. And it said her shock at uh, realising that Amanda's album was supposed to be good. Yes. That she was, she's actually like a, like a real musician. Yes. The title of the, of the essay was What Did We Get Out of Hating Amanda Palmer? Yeah. And just kind of, she, she goes through it talking about her own sort of um, culpability in this, of being part of this online blogging sphere and of like going for this person again and again. And then eventually, Xena says, I've never listened to the music ever and that was it was just really revealing and I really admired the essay for for coming to mm. terms with that you know yeah no I thought that was I thought that was um because I was I was yeah I, I was really surprised when I got to that point in the in the essay as well like, I think she says I was shocked to find that Theatre is Evil received glowing reviews <laughs> yeah because it's a good album <laughs> yeah um but as um it's funny now because as a female artist myself, like as someone 
uh, who writes novels and you know, and I write YA novels as well. And that's a famously contentious space to be in. Like you, you gain a lot, but you risk a lot. Like, um, and sometimes those arguments happen in good faith and sometimes they don't. But, you know, but my entire sort of career, I've been afraid that as, as with each stage, as my sort of name grows and as people absorb my art more and all that, that I'm risking more and more. And that someone's going to come for me and someone and I, or the work I do will be deemed kind of no longer relevant or no longer cool. And suddenly I will have made enough errors in my public or private life for somebody to collate them all together and call it a syndrome. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm afraid of that all the time. I think I, I it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And it generally that fear is directly demonstrative to like where my mental health is at that time and it's actually it's it's like having a haunted house do you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. like having ghosts in my attic um but w- with Amanda Palmer and also to an extent artists like Lena Dunham I I see that fear writ large I see someone who has been making great work and it almost doesn't matter that they make great work because of these ways they conduct themselves carelessly sometimes but then that fear almost goes full circle because the thing is, is that you love Amanda Palmer and you didn't know half of this, about half of this stuff until this morning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you just keep making work, the right people stay. Well, yeah, but also I think it's a way, I mean, I don't know how other people look at sort of art and the things that they consume. But for me, I feel like, it's the artist's baby up out and up until they they put it out into the world, and then it, you know, for better or for worse, it becomes a commodity. And now yeah. I'm taking it, and it's mixing with my shit. And now, like the song or the book or whatever that you put out, in like for me, it isn't what it isn't the same thing that you put out yeah, because yeah. it means completely different things. So you don't really own my experience yeah. of your art anymore. So therefore, anything that you do. I don't. Uh, it can't really detract from my experience because it's it happened. It's, it's a explicitly private experience. It's an explicitly private experience that doesn't actually have all that much do, to do with the person who created it. Yeah. You're, all you're doing as an artist is sending out signals. Yeah. And then and then the audience meets has to meet them halfway, and it turns it into so. And 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 that's that's the beauty and that's the power of it. And that's when you have all the great epiphanies that come from reading a reading a perfect line or hearing you know yeah. a perfect thing they come from a, a meeting of the signal that the artist has sent out and the audience coming up reaching up yeah. to grab it yeah and yeah. so so yeah and so i don't think any of the artist's actions can then they can't reach up and take it back take it yeah. back because they said some shit on twitter you know it's like <laughs> it's mine now it's in my hand it's very beautiful yeah yeah it's very nice. Um, <laughs> I'm always thinking of it like as like these songs and these books and these movies as being like stars, and then all these controversies as being like wind farms, <laughs> just like these like artificial things on the landscape that ultimately are very small and kind yeah. of tacky. <laughs> yeah, it's like debris from satellites just yeah. floating around. And it's like <laughs> totally. Um, oh God, I, I I know you want to talk about Judy Bloom. I do. Yeah. I mean, I you know what? 
I don't know how... This is the song Judy Bloom rather than the author of Judy yeah, Bloom. Yeah, who I absolutely have... I have no idea who the author is. She's like a YA author from the past? Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it in one. Um, People just spat their coffee out you saying that, but okay. <laughs> is she a big deal? She's a very big deal, yeah. She's probably the most famous uh, young adult author of all okay, time. Okay, well, yeah. But yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Well, as I said, I'm here to listen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you go on. Okay. Um... Judy Bloom is about Amanda being a young girl and not, you know, and the the standard sort of outcast young girl stuff, not fitting in, not really, uh, not not really knowing her place, feeling kind of alienated, and losing herself in stories, and having the the characters in the stories become as uh yeah b- basically become as real or more real yeah. than. And so, of course, what so what it's really about is the same thing that we've been talking about, which is about the power of art when it impacts with the person who needs to receive it. And it's about something that Amanda actually spoke about, I think, during a kind of the sort of small press run that she did for um, uh, there, there, there is no transmission. Is that what? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. There, there, there is no transmission. Where she t- and she was talking about Nick watching Nick Cave sort of use his grief at uh, the death of his son, Arthur, Mm. as a way of really reaching out and connecting with other people who have experienced trauma, who have experienced grief, and um, creating what another great artist, uh, Patrick Stickles of Titus Andronicus, uh, called, and this really stuck with me when I read it in uh, another Guardian interview uh, from earlier. He talks about art with utility, Mm. the idea of, Art that is not, yeah, art that is genuinely useful, even if it's just to one, just just to one person. And Amanda was talking about this as well, wanting to make art that is that is that act- actively helps people get through their day or get through a very bad year. And you can really see that in um, well, in all of her songs, but especially in like um, there is uh, there is no intermission, which mm-hmm. is the song that Judy Bloom is on. Yeah. And and yeah, and so sorry that that that's so that's sort of what Judy Bloom uh, Judy Bloom is about is about fight is about finding the art that lifts you up and carries you and contextualizes the things that you're going through in in, in a way that helps you to carry on. And I think that's what Amanda does as well. Yeah. And I think that's what all the best artists do. Um. And so that's what it means to me. Uh, and again, it's one of those ones that I listen to, and it's got something to do with the melody and the and, and the and the sort of the swelling of the song. But generally, I just without knowing any of the specifics or what she's referencing, you know, mm. Margaret arguing with God while she masturbates, etc., yeah. etc. I mean, I got no idea what I, I got no idea what that's referring to. But I felt it so deeply that again, it makes me want to cry in public. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the details of. I don't remember my friends of gym, from gymnastics class. All I remember is Jeannie at the school dance, yeah. and and this is this bit that breaks my heart in that song is um, and and she 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 said something about, I can't I'm not quoting it uh, properly, but she says how she started to notice that grown ups would cringe when she spoke, mm-hmm. which is makes makes me want to protect her even more because yeah. I think cringe worthy is something that like people who are trying to be cool would would say about. Amanda's music sometimes and then it all ends in like you know Amanda you are not alone because a girl thought it also in a book the library bought (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, Caroline. I know. I know. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> I know. <laughs> and like it also, it's like I've always loved that song, but you know, since becoming someone who writes for young people as well, it makes mm-hmm. me even more emotional because the idea that I could be talking to someone who in 20 years will be Amanda. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's that and it's the whole thing and it's the, it's, it's the message of this podcast and <laughs> of, uh, of of all of Amanda's work and all of the best art which is yeah which is just like you know work for it go up to meet the you know you know reach yeah. up to meet this art because it is important and you're you know you're shutting I think people shut themselves off for it or they let themselves be distracted by things that don't yes. matter distracted is the word yeah, yeah totally because to me it's like this is you know it's it's you know it's this is the ma- this is the real magic is yeah it, it, yeah it, it is the, the stuff that other your fe- fellow humans are able to make and able to s- step outside of themselves and see something differently and then take that sort of elixir and bring it back to you and and you oh. know this is the, the, and, you know it's the thunder from the mountain it's oh. the <laughs> i love talking to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah um i do think though it is worth mentioning amanda as well as being very very important very very heartfelt is also fucking hilarious <laughs> go on um well the thing that make that, that makes her um, makes her writing specifically so um, I don't think there's anyone who writes quite like her because we've talked a lot about the sincerity, but there's also like a vein of irony, constant uh, that like that runs through it like you know a stick of rock like yeah, through yeah. everything she does. Well, it's actually no, it's not like that. It's more like the two things are in constant conversation, like a kind of like double helix constantly like twisting up with uh and and so you can't really unpack it and you can't really say you know oh she's being so or at least i find it hard to say oh that's too sincere that's too much that's too melodramatic because it's also kind of a joke but but then the things that are jokes hit the hardest emotionally um as well Uh, you know as so often it's like it's it was so funny i forgot to laugh type thing (laughs) yes and um i think the Oh god! One of the great examples for me of that of both that humor and that irony, but also that sort of sincerity and tragedy, mm-hmm. comes together so perfectly in a mother's confession. Mm-hmm. Which, so a mother's confession is a song about Amanda, sort of during in the first year of parenthood, and it's it's a it's almost like spoken word a little bit where she talks about all these disasters that she's getting into with her child, and like it's so so specific and it almost like diary entries about like her accidentally sort of shoplifting sunglasses while they're on her head at a supermarket but in her defense she'd bought like 90 dollars worth of groceries and then they drove up to someone see someone's cousin and then she made another mistake and and then but like the refrain is at least the baby didn't die and it's almost a joke. I mean, it is kind of a joke. It's almost like a Flight of the Concords type song or something. It's like, oh, well, at least the baby didn't die. <laughs> but then it's like six minutes of her, of this character almost losing it. But like, at least the baby didn't die. Fine. And you're really in it and you're there and you're with her. And then the final verse, it's kind of at the end of another, yet another one of these very stressful days for her. And she goes and gets some coffee somewhere. And there's this woman who's drinking alone at the bar. And... um <laughs> And she says, um, you know, they're they're having this interaction about the baby. And she says, um, 
I have a grown up daughter. And then she paused and says, I also had a son. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, and that's it. And then like, then it's like this refrain of at least the baby didn't die and the orchestra is there and everything. And then you're there just bereft because sometimes the baby does die yeah. <laughs> and it happens to people. Yeah. And every time it doesn't, it really is like a success. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I just, when I hear songs like that, I feel so grateful that she's there and she, her, her music is in the world and that she's older than me. And she's like, she's 10 years older than me. She's, you know, she's doing motherhood. She's had abortions. She's had all these complex relationships and stories. And like, I feel like sometimes when I listen to her music that like, I'm just driving along this like darkened highway and she's just the occasional light ahead. You know, it's like, like this turn off where I can just sit and think about it for a while, you know? It's very beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I think she'll probably listen to this. <laughs> I hope so. She um she has this line. I think it's the last song on her second album, and it's called "Sing," and it's about singing. And the first line of it is, "There is this thing that's like touching, except you don't touch." Yeah. And I think that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. We have uh, we have three minutes left in the fancy recording booth. Do we want to use it to talk about our other favorite songs? Uh y- yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I I I think the song, the song "Grown Man Cry" is a big one for you and me. Yeah, so it's a big one for you about me. <laughs> Do you want to talk about why? Oh, don't act like you. Come on. All right. So obviously we've been friends for a long time, and like all um uh friends who are heterosexual <laughs> and of different genders, we sometimes have these conversations. We're like, how come we've never fucked? <laughs> <laughs> And then I, we, we got really into this album, Theatre is Evil, together. And I remember uh, maybe we were high or something. Some night we were just like, this is why. <laughs> because <laughs> because it would be awful and it would yeah. be a terrible relationship. And like we, this thing of like, oh, grown man cry would be if me and Tom ever dated, it would be awful. Yeah, yeah. What is it? It's like, it is not a life decision. We just need to pick a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. And the flip side to that as well, it's like my my version of that for you is actually kind of very related it's of the same album it's called Melody Dean oh. and it's like and the chorus just goes I never met a lady quite as pretty as Melody Dean and even though I know you are a little bit angry with me <laughs> I am always angry with you always just a little bit angry. a little bit because of something you did the last time we hung out <laughs> yeah 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 it's good yeah good to be friends with you it's good to be friends even though i know you are a little bit angry with you <laughs> and i often am um oh god I, i'm looking at my notes now to see if there's any songs that i will hate myself for not talking about oh i okay i'm actually i want to finish with a quote and it, the quote was in response to the oasis um controversy um that we mentioned earlier on and she said I could try to win points by talking about how I've been date rape. I have been when I was 20 or how I have every right to joke about this if I want, because I've had an abortion myself. I have when I was 17, but I actually don't believe those experiences should lend me any credibility. I should be allowed, allowed to write about, sing about, joke about anything that moves me. So should you. So should everyone. Here fucking here. Here fucking here. This has been Sentimental Garbage. I've been carrying it on who? You've been Tom McInnes. Do you have anything you want to promote? 
Just myself. I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> this is really good. You're at Terribly Tom on Instagram. Uh, you can follow Adventures of You on Holidays with your fiance and your cat. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> this has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me about the podcast at sentimentalpod at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thank you to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the artwork, and Hannah Varro for the mixing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.